Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Mark O'Grady and I work here at Berndine delivering a whole suite of mental health and wellbeing products and services. I'm joined here today by my two wonderful colleagues, Richard Thompson, a fellow Berndiner right here in the UK, and Jessica Rinaldi all the way from New York City. Welcome to you both. Thanks, so this Mark. year we've decided to take a retrospective look at the month of June, which is Pride Month. And we wanted to take a moment just to reflect back on how much is happening in the world right now and our place in it as proud members of the LGBT plus community. There is a lot going on right now, both here in the UK and globally, and some might say that these are scary and turbulent times to be living through. But we like to think of it in another way, or you can look at this in another way and see this as a time of change as we continue to grow and evolve as a human race. Tough times to get through, but like a phoenix from the flames, I'm sure we shall rise. So last year, myself and Richard, we did a short podcast for Pride Month where the focus there was on tokenism or pink washing as it's often referred to. Uh, the idea that many corporations the world over jump, or they like to jump on the month of Pride, and pretty much everything gets covered in glitter and rainbows for that one month of the year, and then it's forgotten. Or is it? I mean, I'm lucky enough to live in a city where there's plenty of flags still flying high. Maybe Rich and Jessica, you're seeing that as well, where, where you are. But it's, it's interesting to think for some corporations, it's very much June, it's come, it's gone, and then we move on and we forget about it. So that particular podcast is still available on our website if you wanted to have a listen. So for this year, we've decided together to focus on coming out. Uh, there's been a number of high profile coming out stories over the last few weeks and months, including Rebel Wilson, Hollywood actress. We've also had Kelly Holmes, Olympic gold medalist and national treasure, as well as Jake Daniels. Fantastic to see a professional football player finally come out who's played for Blackpool. And for the most part, their stories have been met with huge praise and support, but that's not always been the case. And so we wanted to focus just a little bit on our own coming out stories for you today. So Richard, I'm going to hand over to you first, if I may. What was your coming out story like? And perhaps a little bit about coming out in the workplace also. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mark. And I, I think I'm going to start my story by saying the first time I came out, because what I've learned since coming out in uh, 2001 is that it never actually stops. It's a continual thing. And you always find yourselves in new situations where you have to come out, meeting new people, new colleagues, clients, etc. There always comes a moment where that moment in the conversation needs to come out, if you like. But back in 2001, that's the first time I came out. So I was a 22-year-old back then, and I had just left the military. So I was in a really difficult space. I was nervous. I was worried about what people were going to think. I just remember being filled with a lot of fear at the time. It was a really frightening thing to do. I just didn't know how people would react. And of course, back in 2001, things were different. Perceptions and uh, biases around this were quite different. In the end, for me, I started speaking to very close friends and family, it was quite a traumatic experience, if I'm honest. I had some really positive reactions. I had some quite negative reactions, uh, including from close family. So it was a, a very challenging time for me. And uh, I think it sort of sat with me for a long time afterwards. Now, fast forward to 2022, I look back on that. It's part of my history. It's part of who I am. Uh, it was a difficult moment, but obviously I've been able to move away from that. But coming back to what I said a moment ago, this idea that you're always coming out, you know, and this idea of coming out at work. It's something that I find myself regularly having to do. I meet lots of people in the job that I do, and there are often conversations around personal circumstances. I have two children, and I find that when I mention to people that I have two children, quick assumptions are made about my personal circumstances, and I know it's not coming from a negative place. But often they'll ask me about my wife, and I found myself in situations just going along with the conversation. 
because it's been easier to do that. And it's always felt quite difficult that I found that in that moment that I was unable to come out in that conversation. So it's an interesting one, coming out of work. There are moments when I feel comfortable doing it, and there are still moments, 2022, when I don't do it, when I allow the conversation to go a different direction. And I think it's almost because it's just easier. I don't want to make that person feel awkward by correcting them and telling them that actually you've got it wrong and, and, and I'm a gay man and I have a partner, a male partner at home. But there's also a side of it that it just feels uncomfortable. I still don't always feel fully safe doing it, which is really interesting that that fear that sat with me back in 2001, it still remains a little bit. I mean, I don't know, Jessica, I'd be really interested to hear your story, whether there's anything that resonates within that. Your story might be completely different. Thank you so much, Rich. Um, And actually, uh, as you were saying that, I'm literally taking notes because there are things that resonated so deeply, especially in terms of going along with the convo. And sometimes it's just easier, easier for ourselves, but easier on other people. Uh, So I'll get to that in a sec, just to, to circle back with my coming out story. I had a similar path, but somewhat um, different in that I identify as a transgender woman. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. I knew this about myself probably when I was seven. I didn't know the terminology. I'm so thankful for uh, culture and social media and uh, various um, people for for raising the awareness. It's very difficult when you don't know. But I decided to intentionally go as far into the closet as possible. So from seven to 31, I presented as a cis-hetero male and I hid every aspect about myself so much so to the point that when at 31 when I eventually did come out I had a coworker tell me that it was more likely I was a serial killer than transgender on a more positive note with coworkers I also came out to coworkers individually uh, before I came out to even certain members of my family which so shows the power of uh, work colleagues that become friends in a positive way but in terms of coming out at work when I came out more publicly I chose to do it I guess being just past the millennial cusp, but via social media, I thought that was the most time effective way of doing it. When I posted on social media, and I had a private account at that time, I didn't have that many followers and friends. All my followers were friends at that time. I instantly got a call from uh, somebody high up in HR at at the the place that I was working within 45 minutes saying, I saw your post, I was forwarded it by someone else. I think it would be a good idea if you reached out to and then started saying a name of 50 people at the place of employment that I should reach out to. So it kind of took my, I guess, voice a little bit out of that conversation. But at the same time, it did propel me forward uh, in coming out to a number of people all within the same day. And I guess, Rich, something that you had said about constantly having to come out and various situations, one of the things that I, I guess, didn't realize and I just will caveat this by saying that I guess my experience as a trans person is not representative of trans gender nonconforming people writ large. But for me, I had to come out continually, but also in another way, because after a little mm-hmm. bit, people started to presume my sexuality just because of the fact that I was mm-hmm. trans. So ignoring the fact that that was still very much in flux and, and I wasn't sure of it myself there. So I, I guess I, I will asterisk this and say maybe next year I'll have a, a second coming out story. But even the fact that saying that uh, unsure about that or, or don't your presumption, not that it's any of anyone's business, but of course, people are always thinking what they're going to think, which is, is such an interesting facet of human nature. But telling them your presumption may be wrong. I'm not going to tell you what it is, was essentially a second coming out that I then had to do maybe a year after coming out in the workspace the first time. But I've been rambling for a little bit. So I would love to hear Mark's perspective on this all and <laughs> your story. 
Yeah, thank you, Jessica. And can I just say, you know, myself and Rich, as two gay men, coming out was a big, a really big deal for us. But for you, I personally take my hat off to you. You know, that's a huge step forward. So it's great that you're able to share your story with us here today and generally live your true, authentic self. So, yeah, my coming out story, um, So I, I guess I came out a few times as well, a bit different in the sense that I didn't actually come out to my parents until I was 30 years old. Now, there was a good reason for this. Up until, like, I guess my, my mid to late teens, I was making sense of it myself. Finally made peace with it and started coming out to myself in my late teens, early 20s. And then I started to tell maybe just one or two close friends. But then I jumped ship. I, I got on a plane and moved to the UK and started to live my life as an openly gay man, a proud gay man, um, and living a very full and vibrant life in, in the UK for the best for the next maybe 10 years, give, give or take. Um, and I was only ever going home for family events, you know, Christmases, parties, birthdays, that type of thing. And I never really wanted to just go home and, and drop into the conversation oh by the way I'm gay and then I disappear again I wanted to give it enough time and space to have a decent conversation first of all but also if I'm honest there was definitely a part of me that was a little bit nervous about having a conversation so it was easier for me to hide and in hindsight I'd been hiding myself a lot for the, the, the first 20 years of my life I suppose you get very good at crafting a version of yourself that shrinks to fit um, not, not ever really showing your true self, not really sharing true stories, just shrinking to fit to keep other people happy. And that's what I did for a long time. And that equally, when I think back on it, makes me feel really sad because to this day, even in 2022, there are plenty of people who are still not living their true authentic selves. They're not being true to who they are. They're, they're not feeling safe and comfortable in their own home, which is the one place where we should all feel safe and comfortable. So anyway, into my late 20s, I'd met somebody special and I had a feeling that this somebody special might be hanging around for a little while. So I thought I need to tell my parents this has got out of hand. I'm kind of tired and a bit knackered and mentally drained from living a double life. And I was ready to face the music. You play out all kinds of scenarios in your head, don't you? When you come out to your family, what would the worst possible case scenario be? For me, it was rejection. You know, your family say, get out. That's it. We don't want to know you anymore. So I was actually mentally prepared for that and to think about somebody having to prepare for that at any point in your life when you come from a loving home in itself is kind of heartbreaking but the day I took my parents they threw their arms around me they told me they they loved me no matter what and they wondered why I'd waited so long and their main concern was my happiness and my health and I was one of the lucky ones not everybody gets that however there was a bumpy road ahead the next 12 18 months were a bit bumpy and effectively I came out of the closet and my parents threw themselves into the closet <laughs> because they kind of explained to me, you know, Mark, nobody else needs to know this. No one else in the family needs to know. Neighbors don't need to know. Is that okay with you? And at that point, I didn't care. All I cared about was that they knew. I said, fine, do what you need to do. But it gets pretty lonely in that closet. So you might want to think about coming out yourselves at some point. Fast forward another 10 years, the special someone did hang around and I was getting married to my now husband, Chris. And my father stood up on my wedding day and gave the most moving speech. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. And to say that my parents went on a journey and came out the other side is a bit of an understatement. So, you know, for anyone listening, there are happy endings to a lot of these stories. It might take some time, but we can get there. In terms of coming out in the workplace, everything Rich says resonates similar to, to Jessica as well. You know, we're kind of always coming out. Over the years, past employers I've had way back, I've worked for some very alpha male type characters. 
in environments that could be considered quite toxic in some cases. And those alpha males can often create workplaces that are not conducive to coming out and not being your true self. And knowing what I know now with the work that I do in mental health, there are so many other factors that can influence a person's mental health. Being LGBT plus will only compound that even further. And the stats back that up. If you look at some of the statistics coming out of Stonewall, 69% of LGBT youth have thought about suicide. That jumps up to about 89% if we're talking about our trans community. So for any of the alpha males who might be listening right now, I've got something to say, just go easy on yourself to begin with. And also just be mindful of the people around you, the people you work with. You've no idea what people are going through, no idea what people are living with or how they're trying to cope. So with that, Richard, back to you. From a work perspective, do you have any tips for employers who might be listening? Any tips for how they might be more inclusive throughout the year, not just for the month of June? Well, there's something that you said that I think is really appropriate when you think about the world of work, making people feel safe and included. You use this phrase of shrinking to fit. And I think that's what a lot of our communities do, shrink to fit, to not stand out, to make it easier for others. But the problem with that is if we are shrinking to fit, how can we do our best work? How can we be as productive, as creative, as collaborative as we could otherwise be? So to avoid shrinking to fit, I think one simple thing everybody can do in a firm is to not make assumptions. So as I talked about, the fact that when I talk about having children, an assumption is made about the life that goes behind that. Don't make those assumptions. We never know what personal circumstances are. So we can be curious, we can ask questions. And I think as long as that curiosity comes from a genuine and authentic place, it's never going to land badly. And of course, if it's done with respect. So it's avoiding assumptions and it's being more curious, being open to that and exploring with people. What about you, Mark? What would your top tip be? Yeah, I've been giving it some thought. And my, my top tip has to be for employers to be more genuine and authentic in your approach. Because if it's just one month of the year that you're bringing out the glitters and the rainbow and the flags and we're all being included, that's great. But if you then drop all of that come the 1st of July, I can see through that, you know, it doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel authentic to me. And, and so that might sting a little bit. So my tip is to be more genuine, authentic in your approach. And there's lots of ways you can be that way. So first of all, keep learning, keep educating, get opportunities, for example, like onboarding new staff, get some training involved. If there's unconscious bias training, we need to think about even something like inclusive language training, asking about husbands and wives, your point earlier on, Rich, or even misgendering people can be very, very damaging. Also, I'd say put your money where your mouth is, sponsor an LGBT plus based charity for the year and go public with it. Make lots of noise around this. Think about your recruitment drives, be more inclusive and diverse in how you recruit. Think about maybe joining networks like MyGWork, which is a, an LGBT plus focused LinkedIn, for want of a better word. Think about your policies, family leave. Does it include same-sex parenting? Think about health insurance, gender reassignment. Is that included in there? Hormone treatments, for example, same-sex spousal benefits. And the final piece, I think these are really great, reverse mentorship schemes. It's a great way to show true solidarity throughout the year. Helps to deepen senior leadership team's understanding of not just your LGBT plus employees, but any employee from any kind of background that feels marginalized, be it ethnic minorities or different social backgrounds. It allows a good space for open, safe dialogue to happen and creates a non-judgmental environment. Those would be my top tips, quite a few in there. Jessica, what about yourself? Anything you'd like to share there? Definitely, Mark. And I just want to say that uh, being genuine and authentic is so critically important for employers. 
I myself try and strive to be more authentic each and every day, but I've seen examples where employers are so quick to trot out our pictures or faces or names or the fact that we're members of certain both protected categories or affinity organizations to gain business. But then what they fail to do is include our perspective, our voices at the table. So I guess my tip would be to make space for us at the table, to include us. And this kind of touches on, Rich, what you were saying about don't make assumptions. If we're not at the table, they're not knowing. Uh, you know, our, our numbers, unfortunately, mm. for a number of reasons are, are lower. Our visibility is, is so critically important. Representation uh, is a necessary result of that. So I think that by making a space for us at the table, by asking, by being curious, doing it in a respectful way, will ensure that our needs to perform just at, not only at base level, but also all of that added magic and value that diversity brings, you know, diversity in all senses, neurological thinking, diversity of experiences, lived experiences, we will be able to flourish if we are brought to the table and just asked very simply, what are you, how are you feeling? Especially with me, I would say very early on in my transition, uh, although I'm about two and a half years in and I thought it would be over by now, but it's not, but I, I change. And, and this is kind of the, the shrinking to fit. When I just came out, I did not go by my name, Jessica. I went by literally just the letter J. I then went by the name Jess, J-E-S-S. -S. I wouldn't correct people with Jessica or if they used the wrong pronouns because it was easier. Sometimes I knew that their intent was benevolent and I just, it was just to go with the flow, to shrink myself in order to make what I felt at the time just like an easier experience uh, or I, I didn't know any better as well. But if there's a seat at the table for us, if we are being asked, if others are curious and we feel psychologically safe to the point where we can share some of our true selves, you know, that deeply hidden magic that was closeted for so long, but is now just in nascent stages or hopefully more developed stages and, and coming out, uh, I think that it'll make everyone's path easier, but also collaboratively stronger. Yeah. Lovely. Fantastic. I love that idea. Pull up a chair, make room for me at the table because I have a voice and I've got something to say and you might want to listen. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, look, thank you both so much for your input. I love, I love little catch-ups like this and chats like this. And I think it's so important that we are out there sharing our voices now for anyone who might want to listen. And to anyone who's listening, thank you so much. And thank you for continuing to be a supportive ally in this space also. If there's anything here that resonates with you, your teams, or your people, please do reach out and let us know. We love working with organizations that truly strive to create kinder, fairer, more productive workplaces. So thank you and bye for now.